Hello and welcome to the Random Nintendo Sports Desk, which numerically speaking is episode 280. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I'm Kevin. And yes, this episode is in fact the one with impressions of Nintendo Switch Sports. Um, but like any good sports report, uh, it goes beyond the sports themselves. We got some hot uh, front office gossip. Uh, with anecdotes from Reggie about his time at Nintendo. Like, did you know he hates Donkey Konga? He hates Donkey Konga. Uh, as well as some play-by-play analysis of how Disney is now barring some specific plays from Nintendo, which is only fitting in light of Nintendo for barring plays from Disney. Uh, and speaking of Disney, where you've got another anniversary series entry for you, this time celebrating 20 years of another Kevin mainstay, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, so all that, and actually even more, can be found in the timestamps on this episode's blog post at roundtown.com. What you will not find, however, is what I teased at the end of the last episode, Nintendo's full-year fiscal report. And that's because it turns out it isn't coming out till this Tuesday, May 10th. So instead, for anyone who wants sales numbers, all I can offer you is that Kirby and the Forgotten Land was number 3 on the March MPD Top 20. The highest I think the series has ever been. Uh, but yeah, that's it. No other sales this episode. No sales news. So, um... You guys must be incredibly bummed to not hear any sales numbers. <laughs> it's like you finally get used to the idea of sales, and then you finally start looking for it, and then it doesn't come. So And then pulled the rug out. I honestly thought that you would not say yes to that. Um, I thought you'd be like, hell no, this is great, but yeah. Um, it's, about, it's like one of my favorite like segments. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I appreciate whatever front this is you're putting on. I really do. Um, but it's, yeah, so instead, I guess, since there are no sales, we could just jump straight to our sports desk, if you will, for some highlights, aka Switch Sports. Um, I believe I'm the only one who bought Switch Sports. Of, of us, I mean. The, the game's already yeah, number one. You're, you're in the Japan only one who got dipped into buying it, correct? Yeah, in the world. Yeah, no, no, but like, plenty of people are buying it in the world. But, um, yeah, among us, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's, me only, it's only me primarily because you guys don't see yourselves playing it outside the most social of circumstances, right? Unless there's a group of people, there is zero reason to buy it for me. That correct same would line up with social uh, social circumstances, yeah. So, um, I do think, yeah, I think with that in mind, there's kind of two layers to discussing Switch Sports. Um, because obviously there's the gameplay of the sports themselves. Um, but there's also kind of like the overarching structure that ties it all together that tries to supersede. You know, um, how, what are you do in a non-social circumstance? Uh, so we have a few returning sports in the form of tennis and bowling from the original, and uh, Chambara, or however you say it, uh, sword fighting from Resort. And there's also entirely new ones in soccer, volleyball, and badminton. Um, so just to kind of break it down, I think of the three new ones, volleyball is probably the strongest, or at least my favorite. Um, it really feels like the most proper like evolution of the Wii Sports format to me. Like, it, it still has motion controls. Um, they're still easy to understand, but it has multiple ones that all kind of work in tandem with none, with one another. And even, like, in how it plays, you're working in tandem with a teammate, and you're actually doing different things back and forth instead of just kind of both doing the same rote motions. Um, which, you know, makes sense for volleyball. If you're playing in real life, you got to serve. You, you bump it to your teammate. The teammate spikes it over. Whoever's close to that then has to try and block a spike from the other team. Like, there are multiple things you're doing. It's not just one action. So how it all um, translates into motion controls just works really well, for, in my mind at least. Like, serving and bumping are upward swings. Um, bumping actually encourages you to hold the Joy-Con with two hands, like, you're, you know, how you would hit a volleyball with, like, your wrist out. 
Um, then you have blocking, which requires you to hold Joy-Con straight up above your head. But there's also spiking, which you need to quickly raise and lower the Joy-Con. Uh, and it sounds like a lot, but the game does signal which move you need to do next and essentially rotates you as the ball goes from, like, person to person between you and the teammate and the opponents. Um, and, like, all these motion control sports, you also have the freedom to use angles to aim your shots or, you know, you can even use the Joy-Con's uh, control stick to adjust your placement on the court if you don't like where it's automatically putting you. It just it just feels like it kind of maintains, like, the essence of Wii Sports motion-based simplicity while adding more like you and your teammate are doing different actions that are dependent on one another instead of just making the same swing motion over and over like i was saying and then they even let you you know shake the joy con before the ball is served to kind of like clap to your teammate which as silly as it sounds kind of feels like this weird like camaraderie building thing with this random internet stranger you're now totally depending on to win um and yeah i don't know the whole thing just clicked for me right away it was probably the biggest surprise of the sports uh switch sports package so volleyball was a, a nice surprise um what I find interesting is how something like volleyball went in this one direction and totally clicked with me, while like another new sport, soccer, took the same idea of adding complexity in the opposite direction and just did not click with me like at all. If anything, soccer to me feels like the type of mode you'd find in one of the many, many sports and mini game compilations other companies made during the Wii days. Like remember how there was like the, uh hmm. The Awada ass regarding that one, where like they're like, hey, like let's take Rocket League, and then they started taking like features away, and then eventually they just <laughs> forgot to like reiterate. They just like, you know, they pretty much broke that space level dude, that, and they just forgot to do anything else. That is a hundred percent how it plays. Like I know it looks like slow down Rocket League, it feels like slow down Rocket League. Like they, if I would buy instantly that that is exactly what happened. They're like, whoa, look at Rocket League. What if we just like. Slow it down. No, but <laughs> it's, it's with the acrobatics and all that. Yeah, what if we make it like really tame? No, but uh the thing about it is like there are motion controls. Um you're you're holding one Joy Con either hand and like either one can be swung to angle a kick of the ball in that corresponding direction. You can actually do this kind of satisfying thing where you like swipe both down and you do a headbutt, like if you do both kind of in a downward motion. But yeah, everything else is stick and button based. Your primary movement around the field is your control stick. It, you're deterring if you're shooting or passing based on holding a shoulder button. And then, like, the face buttons let you dash and jump. And and it just, yeah, it feels like slowed down Rocket League. It's really, I mean, right down to the fact that there's no out of bounds. Like, you, you're fenced in. And obviously, I'm sure someone's going to make the crack in the same way you made the crack angel. That's like, like Rocket League. Well, Rocket League is just like soccer. So the soccer game would feel like Rocket League. But no, like, literally, it just feels, it feels like a motion augmented mini rocket league opposed to a proper like motion based version of soccer if that makes sense like it's it's so reliant on buttons and stuff that it doesn't feel like Wii Sports or Switch Sports and, and I don't know and because of all that like even one of the things I really liked about volleyball how like you and a teammate are doing different things in tandem which is new for Switch Sports uh it's still it still just feels kind of off in soccer like you can have up to four to four, and everyone is doing their own thing, but it just feels more like a standard video game than like a Wii Sports Switch Sports experience, which is very odd, given the whole like thesis and ethos of Switch Sports. Uh, the exception to this being, I should say, that um, the shootout mode you can find in local play, where you actually put on the leg strap with a Joy-Con, and it maps your kick one-to-one. That's more in line with what I expected from the series. Although, I do find it interesting that the shootout mode 
even though it can be a one-on-one scoring competition in local play, doesn't have an online equivalent. It's just kind of like siloed away with plans in the fall to offer some sort of those kick controls in the main soccer game. I have no idea how exactly that's going to work, but it's like something's coming, but it's weird that they didn't even make the what's there now online. So for now, I guess soccer's kind of a wait and see, but yeah, it is definitely stripped down Rocket League for sure. Um, and then there's badminton. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so it's the most complicated, but as a result, it kind of feels out of place. Um, but then there's badminton, which is the opposite. It's the most tame of the new sports for sure. I mean, basically, it's a closer up, faster volleyed version of tennis. You can perform drop shots. The physics are different. The scoring's a bit different. But really, it's it's the new one-on-one tennis. I mean, like quite literally, the proper tennis mode in Switch Sports only supports doubles now. It's either you and a real human by your side, or it's you controlling both the front and back characters when playing online. And badminton's the only thing you can do if you want to do a racket sport that's one-on-one. Which, you know, let's, let's be honest, feels a bit like a cop-out in a game where there's only six sports to begin with. Uh, you know, they spent, they essentially took what was an option for tennis singles and blew it out into a full sport as badminton and were able to put that little extra icon on the list of sports. And again, it's fun. It's fast paced. It's one of the few sports I feel like I actually noticed HD Rumble doing something every time, like you hit the little, whatever it's called, shuttlecock or whatever it's called. Fun to say. Uh, but the problem is, you know, so many of the options in Switch sports are already so limited that it makes this move of splitting the racket games even more I don't know what the word is, egregious. Like, it's more, like, obvious how they're kind of, like, how light the content feels as a result. Um, funny enough, it's actually the other older sports that arguably offer the most depth, probably because they have precedent from past week sports games. So, like, bowling is definitely my overall favorite of the entire package, uh, in part because I'm just pretty good at it, to be honest. Humble brag. But, uh, <laughs> no, oh, but also because, I know, look at me, look at me over here. But also because it just works really well. Um, they don't require you to let go of the shoulder button anymore uh, when you throw. It does take a bit of muscle memory adjustment from the Wii days, but everything else is working exactly as you'd expect. Uh, it comes with a variety of modes, light variety, but, you know, there's standard bowling. There's a special obstacle bowling that has you try and maneuver around objects in, like, warped lanes and stuff. And there's, of course, the online mode that is a survival bowling. It's like a ladder-style thing in which more and more people are eliminated each round until it's last night standing. So that's really fun. And then there's um, Chambara, or however you say it, which is basically what it was in Wii Sports Resort, the same one-to-one sword rotating, um, but also it now offers a two-sword mode in which one Joy-Con is in each hand and you control separate swords. So that provides a different set of strategies, uh, and even within single-sword play, there are two different options. You could do regular or standard or whatever they call it, which is just, you know, you try to make quick strikes, but there's also this charge mode that encourages you to do multiple blocks to build up a charge and then strike. So even there, there's a little difference. Um, the thing with Chambara, though, is if you didn't like it in Wii Sports Resort, you're not suddenly going to become a convert. Like, it's, if you're like, it's just, it's exactly the same. They just added a second sword. But if you, like me, thought it was a kind of clever workaround at the time for Nintendo to do one-on-one duels that don't feel like complete flail fests like Boxing Day in the original Wii Sports, then you're going to like it here, too, I think. I mean, did you guys... In the old Wii Sports, did you guys have a favorite among any of the sports? Like, did Chimbar even make a dent on your list? Because that's probably the most... It and bowling are probably the truest to the old game. You know, I guess if any, it would have to be that one. 
Um, I can't really think of one from the first game. And from the second game... Yeah, I guess that one. Uh, specifically the version where you're like... Basically walking across Wuhu Island, finding like waves of people. Yeah. That was really fun. But... Yeah, I guess Shambara... Kevin, did you play much? I know, I know. Obviously, the original resorts. Everyone touched. Did you ever play resort? No, I like never played resort. Uh, yeah, yeah. Honestly, you kind of missed out. Like resort, it feels more fully featured than Switch Sports does. But resort, like, actually had like some cool stuff. Like Chimbaro is cool. Um, Woohoo Island as a whole was a pretty interesting concept. Um, it basically they tried to make it its own character of sorts, and and much like resort tried to you know thematically tie everything together with Woohoo Island. We uh, Switch Sports has Spaco uh, Spaco Square, as we have seen in all the footage, and uh, I've seen some folks online saying that Woohoo was the better location. I don't know. I get I get Woohoo is special because Nintendo at the time was really into the idea of the island being its own like character across Nintendo games. You know that's why it was in Mario Kart and Pilot Wings and Smash Bros. and of course Wii Sports itself. But I don't think people are giving Spaco enough credit. Like. Woohoo works so well in part because a lot of the sports leverage the island resort theme. And then those that didn't, like Chambara, you know, they made it work with, like, basically a horde rush mode. Like a horde mode, like what you're describing, Angel. Um, but, you know, if you think about the games in Wii Sports Resort, it's like you're doing frisbee with a dog on the beach. You're jet skiing through rings off the coast. You're kind of doing, like, aerial acrobatics above this beautiful coastal shoreline. And all that stuff worked and made sense in Woohoo, but, like, Switch Sports has this more general just, like, sports feeling like it's just like just generic sports now like it's not all thematically connected so they swap the island for what really does amount to an olympic village atmosphere you know you each takes place in its own specially designed facility they have specially uh specifically designed clothing they have like trains and buses all connecting them all the clothing has like merch with like this baco branding just like olympic gear would all have the rings on it like I kind of actually like that they're like, well, let's make our own little fake Olympic village for these sports. And and maybe it's not, like, a character like Woohoo, but the development team, you know, they still have all the same little touches. Like, Nintendo tweeted the other day that there's buses that go on set routes. So if you're playing a sport, you will see a double-decker red bus go by every 15 minutes because it's going from sport location to sport location. And there's, like, trains that go by. And I I also feel like the more intricate architecture and sort of cityscape vibe that they went with for Switch Sport does lend itself to showing off HD graphics better than just, like, some beaches or whatever. Like, the game looks really nice. Um, but anyway, that's thematically how they tied it all together was Spaco, or in this case, and we, uh, Woohoo in, in the past game. But what ties together the gameplay uh, are the online aspects. Like, when I was rallying off each sport there, you know, I, you may have noticed, and I kind of said as much, there's not a lot of sub-modes within the sports. You know, soccer has the leg shootout. Shambara has a few tweaks to its sword battle format. Bowling has the obstacle challenges. But tennis, like I said, got split into two different sports now. And the others have literally nothing beyond their core game. And I really do think it's because Nintendo is trying to pour all the players' attention into the online portions of the game. I think for Nintendo, that's supposed to be the big draw that makes Switch Sport more than just the game you bust out in social settings, but almost a little mini like game-as-a-service you want to check in with regularly. And and to be fair, online does also offer pro leagues, which you can unlock by playing any sport ten times. At which p- point you're, uh, or each sport, I should say, ten times. Ten you play times. Each run ten. Like, you have to, you have to win. Are, you just have are to you play. Are you going to be able to? <laughs> I already have bowling. Thank you very much. 
But um, wow. yeah, no. But you you get pro league when you play each ten times. At which point you're done, just like any other competitive thing online. You're ranked by a letter grade that slides up and down based on your performance. We all know how that works. Uh, so there is that competitive edge in there to keep you playing too. Um, although kind of weirdly. There's no online tournaments or anything. You just go and have your ranking change as you play, and that's it. Uh, but the big hook, like the gameplay loop Nintendo's really pushing throughout this experience, is earning points that go towards unlocking new items for your character. So how it works is you accumulate points not just for playing, but bonus points for doing well. Like for bowling, again, not to brag, but I kind of do want to brag, so I'm going to brag. Uh, I scored like all sorts of points because I got rewarded for three strikes in a row and then four strikes in a row and then five strikes in a row in a single game. And all those points pool into one running tally and every hundred of those points, you're able to choose between different collections of items and get one piece from that collection at random. And these collections are not just items like hats or shirts, but also, you know, new emotes to use in game or new phrases you can mix and match to make a custom tile that appears above your name. Uh, You know, stuff like that. But here's the catch. They're adding them weekly. And they're then augmenting these weekly drops with new sports enhancements, you know, heading at looking months ahead here. Like we know golf is coming in the fall. We know the soccer leg strap update is planned. And there's already data miners digging up references to basketball and dodgeball in the game's codes. So really, this is like a diet game. Yes, it's a huge problem. No, I was going to say really, this is like a diet game as a service at this point, Um, which sure. Up front, no problem, sure. Like, I'm having a lot of fun right now trying to get the additional emote sets. I am I use my Mi currently, so um, I'm a little limited in gear I can apply because you, can you can't augment the Mi's face at all. Uh, but the emotes, the custom titles, those are short-term keeping me engaged beyond social situations. Absolutely, no question there. Long-term, of course, I'll also come back to check out golf and the other sports should they become real. Um... And, you know, we've seen Nintendo launch games with like content only to augment that over time, like Splatoon 2, Arms, Mario Tennis Aces, Mario Golf Super Rush, probably Mario Strikers when it comes out next month. So given that Switch Sports is starting at $20 less than those games, it's 40 bucks for digital, 50 physical if you want to get a leg strap. Like, that's all relatively fine by me, how they're rolling out the content. Um, the d- sports, I should say, but like the way Nintendo is tying weekly new items and content to online directly means they're tying your full Switch sports experience to a Switch online subscription. And that's new. And that's kind of interesting. In a way, it's maybe just the latest example of how Wii Sports has always been kind of this weird Trojan horse IP for Nintendo where it has like ulterior motives every single time they release it. Like, you know, originally the game actually wasn't supposed to be bundled with the Wii. There's an anecdote in um, Reggie's new book about his time at Nintendo. You read it? That, uh, I, not yet. I don't have my copy yet, but the anecdotes are flying fast on, on the internet. But there's this anecdote from the book that was his suggestion to make Wii Sports a bundled piece of software. Initially, uh, Iwata and Miyamoto both felt Nintendo shouldn't give away what they called, and I quote, precious content. Uh, but Reggie, you know, saw an opportunity for Wii Sports to serve as this kind of foot in the door to get people to buy a Wii and understand the motion controls of the remote, uh, you know, more so than Wii Play could do. And he, as we all know now, was spot on with that assessment. Um, but looking back, it explains why maybe Wii Sports ended up lighter in content at the time. It was a showpiece. It was a game, but it was also like this Trojan horse to get people to buy a Wii. And then Wii Sports Resort, again, a game as much as a showpiece for the new Motion Plus at the time. So all the mini games had to utilize 
Motion Plus in different ways to convince people not just to buy the game with one bundled in, but to then want to buy a second Motion Plus for multiplayer. So if you look at kind of the the choices they made at Resports Resort, uh, because it was a bit of a standalone package, it was a little deeper, but they also were really trying to just sell the Motion Plus. And then you look at like Wii Sports Club on Wii U, kind of the odd one out of the lineage here. And the fact that it was priced so uniquely, shall we say, you know, pay per game or just rent them for a set period of time. It really felt to me like they were trying to use that as a way to get casual gamers to the Wii U after only the core bought it. I mean, if you think about the timing, they had the digital version of Wii Sports Club out in time for the Wii U's second holiday, which would be right around the time you'd want to expand the audience footprint from those early adopters to the larger crowd. And by doing those kind of atypical prices, they can make it almost seem like a packing game again. It'd be bite-sized, you know, the pricing of a mobile game that casuals were more familiar with at the time. And again, as a result, neat online club system, the core game was pretty light. So now, here we are with Switch Sports, and again, the core gameplay offering is kind of light because the game, I think, is supposed to be funneling you into something else, a recurring online subscription, recurring guaranteed revenue for Nintendo. And if you have, if you have all those different side modes and options and subsports, um, you know, stuff to do offline, that's going to keep you offline instead of being online and paying. There's no subscription required if you're doing little side modes, but they want to have people keep paying and keep doing stuff online, thus everything's tied into this item loop that every week changes. Now maybe this is a bit of a jaded take, I'll give you that. But just looking ahead, it does seem like the Nintendo the direction Nintendo is kind of heading in. Like I don't know if you guys saw Nintendo's tweets on Friday, but they confirmed that Splatoon three um is actually going to use the same custom title phrase pairing for your profile as Switch Sports does. No indication yet that unlocks will be tied to online progress per se for Splatoon. But I mean like seems like they easily could if Switch Sports already does. You know, one more hook for a subscription. And Nintendo's whole MO, really, is to take the smallest, most tepid steps in the direction of a new industry trend, like Rusty's Real Deal Baseball is their first in-game purchase attempt, or, you know, look at how many different post-launch DLC release strategies they went through before sort of locking in something as successful as Smash Bros. So my hope is that they, as they get a better feel for what this extended life game-as-a-service version of their projects become, maybe they better understand you need to do some deeper content variety. Like, you know, you evoked Rocket League earlier, Angel, and I, I look at something like Rocket League, which on the surface is very similar to Switch Sport. A few different modes, unlockables to customize how you appear, custom uh, custom titles and, and little profile themes, and that's really all of, all of it. That's it. But the big difference is it started as a significantly lower price before even going free-to-play. And no problem using existing assets in weird new ways. You know, it got stuff like modes with different physics. Or they just rolled out a Battle Royale the other week that is literally just the booming mechanic as a separate mode. And you just crash into people. And I think Nintendo needs to ultimately get there. Like Switch Sports' lack of deeper variety as it stands now maybe is an example of why they need to get there. Because as much as I am at this very moment enjoying the game very much, I don't know if just new items with promises of new sports in six months is enough to keep me or other folks here in, say, one month, you know? So I think that's kind of that's kind of the, 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 the flaw of Switch Sports at the moment is because they're so timidly moving into this game of service thing and they're like, oh, well, we'll just do weekly item drops. I'll keep people engaged. I feel like you need a little more Nintendo. Just just a little more. But right now, everything that is there is very nice and polished. It's just not 
a lot there. That makes sense. So well, in one month's time, I will ask you to see how you're still feeling about it. I'm it will curious. probably be the same. Yes, mark your calendar, Angel. Thirty days. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, going beyond just switch sports here, even like I do think in general the writing is on the wall that like games as services or something every publisher will be doing on consoles just like the mobile scene already has become not that every game will be one but every publisher will have at least one game that is you know what i mean like we're seeing it with how companies are investing right now i mean sony bought bungie for its games as a service experience with destiny 2 for like 3.6 billion dollars one ip 3.6 billion dollars yet just last week Square Enix announced it's selling off its entire Western development profile, the studios, um, the IPs including Tomb Raider and Deus Ex and the Marvel license. All that's going to Embracer Group for $300 million. Million. A with an steal. M. Not billion with a B. Exactly, yeah. And that discrepancy is wild to me. But it starts to make sense when you look at, like, the Avengers game apparently lost $200 million, and that was their crack at Game of Service, and it didn't work. And, you know, like, a new Tomb Raider or some other IPs maybe aren't as primed to be like a gas type game. Um, I'm sure, like obviously Embracer is happily taking the IPs, but it's interesting how they don't seem in the broader market right now to have the same value, even though they're some of gaming's biggest franchises as a studio with one really good game as service and in-house expertise to make others. So I, it's going to be interesting in the next few years, like how each publisher sort of makes their way through the game as service landscape. Um, also, like, Embracer Group is this, like, sleeping giant that I had no idea was so big. Are you guys aware of just how much Embracer Group owns? Yep. It's nope. crazy. It's, well, I didn't even realize they were THQ Nordic rebranded initially. Um, and obviously THQ Nordic put out, you know, a ton of stuff, um, and, and bought up a ton of stuff. But they also, I guess, since changing from THQ Nordic, they bought Saber Interactive, who was in charge of stuff like The Witcher 3 port. Uh, they bought 4A Games, who made the Metro series. At some point in 2020, they bought 13 studios in one day, including the pinball uh, guys over at Zen Studios and the developers of that SpongeBob Rehydrate game. But then in 2021, they bought Gearbox that was and Aspire one. Media. Yeah, yeah. And they bought Aspire Media, who us Switch folk know as the publisher that ports all those old Star Wars games. And then they went on to buy 3D Realms of Duke Nukem fame. And then they bought Perfect World Entertainment, who owns a bunch of MMORPGs um, like Star Trek and, and Neverwinter. And now they own literally the western half of Square Enix. It's crazy how much they just amassed over time. Never mind the IPs they have access to already. Like, they bought Time Splitters a while ago. They have, um, you know, I think everything Eidos has ever released. So, you know, Thief will be theirs. Um, Gex will be theirs. Um, it's, you know, I, j I actually joked on Twitter that they have Aspire port Gex to Switch because all Aspire does is port games from that era. But seriously, if you, if you think about how much is under their belt and how many opportunities there are for those IPs, there's so much crazy potential. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. They're, they're somehow one of the biggest publishers in the world and they just kind of quietly did it. And now they don't have a Square Enix. Is there anything you want to see out of the Square Enix? deal like is there hope that maybe they could revitalize some franchise that you love that square didn't treat fairly i'd have to look at the list a, of like games i'm having a hard time thinking of a yeah same here like i'm having a hard time thinking of a franchise that i care about from square enix i don't think <laughs> there were many that i played even 
the quote-unquote associated with it, like, you know, like Tomb Raider and Hitman and whatnot. Right. Cause, yeah, because, you know, when I think Square Enix, I almost exclusively think just the RPGs, but I think, yeah. I mean, they clearly do more just based on everything we just said, but... Or did, past tense at least, yeah. Yeah. Do you think this is Square... Now, Square's like, oh, we're selling it so we can invest in, like, the blockchain and, and stuff, which is okay. But do, do you think Square is positioning itself to maybe possibly get acquired by Sony? Like they're selling off, they're shedding some weight so they can be more, uh, you know, more tractable. That's so the ongoing rumor. It just it makes sense, right? In a weird way, like they're so closely tied with the PlayStation brand and, and like Microsoft. Yeah. yeah, I I hope that's not the case because they also pump out a ton of stuff on Switch these days. Um, but can. I don't know if Sony's gonna want them to. I mean, even Microsoft, as they're buying up companies, they're like, well, some franchises will keep multi-platform, and some will make Game Pass exclusive, and, like, they're going to pick and choose. So I don't know. Obviously, they'll fulfill current contractual obligations, but I don't know if, like, if 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 Square was owned by PlayStation, we would not have gotten any of the HD 2D games that Nintendo's been pumping up these last few years. I don't think Octopath would come to Switch. I don't think Triangle Strategy would have, and Triangle Strategy's doing okay for itself. So, like, 800,000 copies already or something. But I don't think that would have happened if, uh, you know, they were Sony-owned. They would have just gone to PlayStation. So, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but kind of in that same, you know, the rumors and rumblings, um, it's also kind of interesting that one of uh, one of Embracer's subsidiaries, Aspire, who I mentioned, you know, could port Gex or something, uh, they may actually, they've expressed interest in bringing back the Rogue Squadron series from N64 and GameCube days. Um, apparently they put out a statement expressing that if the interest is there, they're interested on Twitter, uh, which sure, every public company is like, yeah, like prove to us you want it and we'll do it. But what I found most interesting about that is that then the co-founder of Factor 5, who is the developer of that series, not only endorsed the idea, but went one step further and said that they should release, uh, on Switch this unreleased Wii edition of all three games. That was called Rogue Leaders Rogue Squadron. And apparently, and this is wild to me, apparently this is a fully done game that was ready to go on Switch, on a Wii. It had Wii exclusive features. You could use every Wii controller imaginable, including the Wii wheel. There were lightsaber duels that used Motion Plus. It was all up to run in 60 frames per second and look better than on GameCube. And then just the licensing. Disney bought Star Wars. People lost their game licenses. Everything was just up in the air, and the game just kind of fell to the wayside because then the Wii died. So there's this fully featured, fully complete compilation of some of the most well-regarded GameCube games, and N64, I guess, Rogue Squadron. It just never came out. That's so strange to me. It's like what happened with Star Fox 2 for a long time, and then eventually it came out. Like, Did you guys ever play the Rogue Squadron games? No. But I do remember, at the very least, thinking, wow, that game looks kind of cool, and I kind of want to play it, back when I think I saw trailers for it for the GameCube. And to be but, honest, that's me too, yeah. But it just <laughs> never happened. Like, it just literally never happened. Did Did you ever play him, Kevin? No. I, I've, man, I don't think I've played a lot of Star Wars games, now that I think about it. Yeah, I'm not super well-versed in Star Wars games. I had Podracer on my Switch, because it was like $6 at one point, which also was ported by Aspire. Um, but yeah, yeah, Rogue Squad. I don't. I can't believe I never played it. I think about it. like I know it's well regarded. I remember when the game came out. I was like, whoa, that looks so yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't, considering you're yeah, like, our considering 
Rather I love Star Wars and I, fan. I mean, I've seen all the movies and and watched the the live action. The bar is pretty low. It well, is pretty low. I, then yeah. again, I don't know um, what level fan um, Kevin considers himself. What kind of fan are you, Kevin? Are you like a uh, yeah? I, I enjoyed the movies or a uh, oh no uh, For Star Wars. The lore of yeah, the lore of the the Chewbacca. Oh, God. And stuff, blah, blah, blah. I'm about to get into it. I think Star Wars sucks. Oh okay, all right. So Ooh, the bar is hot take. You have to enjoy Go the movie. Go on, Kevin. And you're wait, the wait, 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 Kevin. What? Elaborate slightly. I'm curious. Um, <laughs> I, I think the best movie in that series is like okay at best. It, it's just not my thing. It's Star Wars. The has, Christmas special. <laughs> Star Wars has just never been my thing. That's fair. And then That's fair. the fandom only drags it down so so much further. Than it already that, is in my mind. I agree with. I think that I can appreciate any fandom's passion for what they are a fan of, but not to the extent that they take it with bashing people who are involved with eight. I actually liked eight. I'm sure that turned off half the Star Wars fans to to me, but I actually liked eight. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's... I think eight <laughs> sucks. Uh, I think we talked about this, but I think the Last Jedi sucks. I like the ideas that it had. Um, I think the execution was piss poor, but that is absolutely no reason to run off one of the actresses who was reading her yep. lines off of social media. You ghouls. Yeah, it's bad. Like that's that's fandom out of control. And I say a kaiju, can anybody say it seriously? Like that's I mean, like honestly, like the way they retconned eight for so nine. So what was worse the, fans, that bothered that? me, but So that or the behavior of the Rick and Morty fans? I mean, both are pretty bad. Oh, so the I, internet I was the, a mistake. The, the, the counter of the McDonald's <laughs> asking for the Szechuan sauce. That guy needs to go to jail forever. What's preferably. the charge? I'm just curious. What would the charge be in that case? Just being a douche. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you can get him for like. I, I would say I'm just sure like disturbing the peace. Disturbing the peace. I'd, I'd rioting. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I the internet was a mistake in so many ways. Like, just it's really cool that the internet lets you connect with like-minded fans. It's really cool, like in our case, that we're able to like you know have these discussions about art, the things we're fans of, and have people actually be interested and listen. But like, it's so easy on a dime to go so south so fast, and and then people just feed off each other. And yeah, it's it's, it's whoa 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 yeah. what what. I was saying people feed off each other. Like they feed off the negative energy oh, okay. of each other. And just I heard something else. From there. Oh, I'm really curious what you heard, but I feel like you got censored if you say it. So, <laughs> um, but well, well, you know what? Actually, while we're talking hot takes, Kevin, you and your anti-Star Wars take. One other thing that came up in passing when I was talking about Switch Sports was Reggie's book, um, disrupting the game. Either of you guys planning to get it? No reading. <laughs> I am barely getting through the Miyazaki one I got. I'm definitely fair. Get another one. I don't, yeah, I don't, my like I, I was saying, I reading it, but, okay. but like that—that that was also a joke. I reading reading's great. I like how you felt the need to clarify that in case you thought someone was really like, "Oh, he hates reading." He hates reading. Like, <laughs> how dare he? This guy. <laughs> but um, yeah, the reason I'm saying hot takes is my my I mentioned this during support, but I'm still waiting on my copy to arrive of the book, but. It's been kind of interesting and surprising to read some of the anecdotes that have come out of his book and the accompanying press tour he's been doing. 
And, uh, I mean, like, he has some takes. So, that'll be kind of fun to give our takes on his take. A, a double take, if you will. Like, think of this if we're going back to our sports desk theme. Think of this as, like, when they cut to, like, the post-game interview with the coach and he airs his grievances about how the game was played. Like, this is us assessing that. So, just got a list of takes here. I'm just going to go through and we can kind of weigh our thoughts on them. So, first up, um, the hottest of his takes, he, in his own words, hates Donkey Konga. And as a quick refresher, this is the GameCube exclusive Taiko Drum Master spinoff that was Donkey Kong themed, came with plastic bongo drums, and he says he hates it because he thought it would hurt the DK brand and he didn't find it fun to play. Kind of did, but yeah. Uh, did it hurt the DK brand? It made me think less of DK, yeah. Hmm. But he also said that he uh, he, he just liked it to so kill much. it, but it did hurt it. Well, so I, mm, I, I'm gonna say. Well, first, before I even weigh in, Kevin, what, where, where do you stand on Donkey Konga? <laughs> is, is Reggie right? Okay, right. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I can't believe Reggie thought it wasn't fun to play. He, he literally said he, he was doing this. He said all this during an interview with G4, with in uh, with X Play during G4, and he said he actually quote pushed back hard on it being released, which is like, really, like yeah, I thought it was fun and. I don't think his hatred is justified. I mean, listen, it was not the best game. Um, the music covers were not the highest of quality. But, like, what's fun about being a Nintendo fan is getting some of this quirky stuff from time to time. And it's through that quirk that we then got something as uniquely satisfying as Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, which required those very same drums. That game would not exist without Donkey Konga. There's no way anyone at Nintendo would be like, what if we made a platformer but you had to use these bongo drums that we need to first develop and, and produce? That I don't think that would happen. Um, plus, it's the first place I ever heard the song Rock Lobster, which has to count for something. But, um, but yeah, it's just like I. Him saying it's not fun was kind of weird because, like, it's a sta- it's oh, an wait, established franchise. I was thinking Jungle Beat. Oh, and that key song oh. Konga, eh. But, but, but is it hated by you? Are you at I Reggie's wouldn't say level I of hate hatred? It. Yeah, hate is a really strong word. I don't even know if he hates it. I think he's just trying to be dramatic for his book. Well, he said he hated as an executive. And then went on to say he didn't find it fun. Because he thought it would hurt the <laughs> brand. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, I will point out that, like, even in that X-Play interview, Reggie did acknowledge it sold better than he expected it to. Um, where I will agree with him and with you guys to extent is Nintendo made an error in the way they made the box art for Donkey Konga 2. Like, I know it was peak mid-2000s, and graffiti was cool, and Nintendo had, like, the Who Are You, like, gritty-looking Game Boy print ads, and they had that tribal tattoo Game Boy Advance SP at the time. But, like, they took Donkey Kong, stuck him on a box as a dog Konga, spray-painted a 2 on the logo, and then put a background behind DK that was, like, graffiti and, like, paint, and, like, it made zero sense for the brand. It made zero sense for the game. The game wasn't like, oh, it's, like, the edgier Donkey Konga, and it still makes zero sense today. So I, if Reggie wants to amend his statement to be he hated Donkey Konga 2's box art, sure. But, but yeah, I think he's being a little hard on the game itself. Um, okay, that was his hottest of hot takes. Here comes the next one, though. Next Reggie take. He didn't want to release the Game Boy Micro. So this one comes straight out of his book as a lesson learned uh, about the importance of keeping all the parts of a company communicating and on the same page at all times. So apparently, 
as Nintendo of America was planning in early 2005 to wrap up the Game Boy Advance line that holiday season with a big Black Friday blowout. They were going to clear out all the inventory. They had it all lined up. And then sometime in like the earlier part of 2005, Nintendo, the Japanese side, uh, was developing the micro. They didn't initially tell NOA. And then when Reggie did find out, he thought it was, in his words, a non-starter. To him, you know, Game Boy Advance sales, and frankly, it's true, Game Boy Advance sales in general were already declining because the DS was out. Um, but in his mind, and I'll, I'll just read it directly, quote, The hardware was exceptionally small. Not only were the control buttons difficult for any reasonably sized adult to manipulate, but also the screen was tiny. This ran counter to consumer electronic trends of making screens larger. Is he right? Was the micro a mistake? Uh, I guess. I didn't buy one, so I guess he's right. Because <laughs> I thought they were cool, but I didn't care enough to buy it. So, yeah. Okay, Kevin. I mean, then again, I don't know was it meant to make a profit. It seemed like, when I saw it, it just seemed like it was just as like a, a thing Nintendo just felt like doing. Not necessarily Which I think like. is what Reggie hated about it. Is he's like, oh, well, hate's a strong word. He didn't say hate, but. He said they were straight up forced to sell it. Because um, yeah, it's not like it was gonna. Yeah, I'm sure like the they weren't expecting fire. it to revive like the, yeah, the Game Boy line or something. Yeah, I mean, where'd you stand on the micro back in the day, Kevin? Was that something that you're like, oh, this is cool? Or it's like, why does this exist? I don't think I had a single opinion on the micro back in the day, honestly. Which may also be part of the problem that there was no like gadget lust or no like desire for it. Well, I already had point. an SP, and the SP was right. perfect in my eyes. Not that the micro was any less perfect, but I just paid no attention to it. Yeah, yeah the I mean, Mario Edition one was the only one that I was like, "Oh man, I really want that." But yeah, that one was. It was mainly cool. for how it looked. I don't think I really planned on playing it. Right. Um. I think I'm like I'm unsure on this one. Like, take his like yes and no. I mean, first of all, let's just comment on specifically where he's like, um, the buttons are difficult for any reasonably sized adult. Um, Reggie has large hands. Massive pan. He like, I feel like he can't just assume the micro wasn't comfortable for adults because his like giant oven mitt hands couldn't, couldn't comfortably hold one. Um, I've, I've I've shook his hand. I know he has large hands. Um, but more seriously, from like a business perspective, yeah. Um, it didn't really do anything for Nintendo. Like even that snazzy Mario one you mentioned, Angel, which I think is technically a Famicom themed one. Even that one, um, with the slick gold faceplate, like didn't light the world on fire. But the piece that I feel like Reggie just glossed over right like right over with all this is that for players that were interested it did have something to offer i mean we're seeing the same sort of thing play out now with the iphone like apple made bigger iphones there's demand for an iphone mini they made an iphone mini there's a subset of people that like the iphone mini but not enough and now they're probably gonna cancel the next gen of the iphone mini and go back to just the big one but for those people they have a product that they can now use for the next foreseeable years that was catered to them, and in the, you know, in the case of the Mint, the Game Boy Micro, I feel like there was an audience for that. I mean, granted, I wasn't planning to buy one either. Nintendo just kind of threw it in my lap back in the day because I was, you know, high up in their forums or whatever. But um, once I had it, I absolutely loved it, and it has become my favorite iteration of the Game Boy. I mean, the screen is smaller, yeah, but it's crisper as a result. The games just look better because of it. The D-pad is, like, top-notch. The build quality felt like some sort of precursor to, like, or trial run, maybe, to higher-end materials that led to what we saw in later products, like DS Lite and the Wii. Like, 
Never mind the fact that Nintendo never gives up on an idea, right? So certain aspects maybe didn't resonate then, but stuff like faceplates resurfaced with the new 3DS many years later. And, you know, it kept Game Boy Advance alive much longer, which ended up informing how long the 3DS could stay alive after the Switch came out. I mean, the two overall lifespans, like the Game Boy Advance and 3DS, were almost identical to the month. They both lasted just over nine years. So I feel like there was stuff that did come out of the micro that was good, and for a subset audience, it was great. And Reggie's looking at it very much like, understandably, because he's a businessman, like, um, oh, well, it, it, the, you know, the profit margins aren't as best as can be, and we're focusing on this other thing to sell. And she's like, yeah, but, like, stuff came out of the micro that was beneficial. So I don't know yeah, if it was, I definitely like, that bad, wouldn't, you know? I definitely wouldn't want to exist to, I mean, like, erase it out of existence. Like, I'm happy that Kimber Micro was a thing because yeah. it's a cool thing. Yeah, it's a cool... It's, like, the most gadgety Nintendo thing they've made. Like, it feels... It doesn't even feel like a Nintendo product. Like, it, it you know, the metal frame and everything. Like, it's cool. It's, it's different. Um, the marketing pitch for it was super bizarre, because probably because Reggie was blindsided by it, and he was in charge of marketing, but, like, this idea that, like, oh, yeah, you have these face plates, and you can, like, slip it in your pocket, and then you're, like, out at the club, and you're, like, I'm gonna play my Game Boy. It's, like, like that older audience. It's, like, drinking and clubbing and playing their Game Boy, and I'm, like, I mean, that's not how that's gonna work, but, but it was a nice try, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I liked the micro. I was, I was sort of taken back to see him be, like, straight up, like, nah, this isn't a good product. Um, all right, next one. This next one stems um, from a fireside chat of sorts he did at South by Southwest. He was asked about some merging tech, and when it uh, got to the blockchain, he said he's a believer in the concept of play-to-own. And he went on to say, and I'm just going to again read the quote directly, I say this as a player where I may have invested 50 hours in a game, 100 hours in a game. There's some games I've invested 300 hours in. Uh, and when I'm ready to move on to something else, wouldn't it be great to monetize what I've built? And then he specifically cited being able to potentially sell his Animal Crossing Island as something he may want to do one day in the future. But with a caveat that any use of blockchain needs to be good for a player and not just a cash grab type move. So, play to own. Something you do in a game, something you achieve in a game, being able to flip it and make a profit off it. Where do you guys stand on that? Um, I mean, people could sell anything. <laughs> so, like, I mean, if, like, would I partake in it? Probably not, but, you know, it's, it feels inevitable. Also, yeah, I guess, don't really have too many strong opinions against it, but, yeah, I, I guess it's something I probably wouldn't do. Yeah, I think I'm there too. What about you, Kevin? So, in terms of, like, what? Like, just the idea of play on, like, you, you create content in a game, or not create content, but you, like, progress through a game, you make your island in Animal Crossing, and Reggie's like, he thinks you should be able to sell that for I mean, profit, for, for actual money. it's not that much, I mean, it, it's not that already much. a thing on Steam, because, I mean, you could get hats in Team Fortress and literally just sell them on the market, as well as, like... But he's saying some... more, like, user-generated content, so think of, like, oh. selling mm -hmm. a pack of, You like, can make something on the Steam Workshop. Yeah, like I'm, I'm all for it. I don't, I don't see why that would be an issue if, like, if it's quality and worth buying. Yeah, if it's quality and worth buying. Yeah, sure. Not only that, but it's like, if you buy it, and you think, or how do I put this? It's, it's almost like, yeah, the options there. You don't have to. You can go without it, without buying right. stuff that's user generated. So, and that to think this means that there could be like in theory. In Super Mario Maker 3, like, an exclusive level store where you can only play those levels if you buy them because they were part of a shop. But, you know, some of them can well, be trash. Well, see, that, that's what's great. unclear. 
that theoretically that would make sense. Theoretically, that's not hugely different than selling mods to a game, right? Like you modded a game, you're selling this mod you made, other people can use the mod, and then lo and behold, look, you spun off a whole new game. That's happened multiple times. But um, he, the fact that he's referencing blockchain makes me think it's not like a thing that you could just like, oh, I made these levels in Little Big Planet or Mario Maker. Here you go. It sounds like it's literally like I built my island. Do you want to buy my one of a kind island for this set amount of money? And then the blockchain presumably would track that ownership. That seems a little different. Like if it was just selling stuff in store, eh, whatever. But it seems like there's like this exclusivity thing because he's like, hey, if I and he's straight up is like, if I spent three, if I've invested three hundred hours in a game, I want wouldn't it be great if I can monetize what I build and get some of that money back, some of that time back in money. Like it, it seems that's the part I'm trying to like in my head parse is like the exclusivity versus the accessibility, you know? Because, like, right now, let, let's use the Animal Crossing example, right? Um, why would I necessarily need to pay for Reggie's Island if I can just visit it in multiplayer? Or, like, when the example is, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, it was kind of it was super cheesy at the time, but I thought it was actually really cool conceptually. Uh, when Joe Biden was running for president, they made a Team Joe Island, and they shared the code online, and anyone could go check it out. And the whole island was themed around his campaign, and it was, like, you know, highlighting things he'd do and whatnot. But, like, anyone could visit it. Sure. It's a unique island. The response you to that is up. you don't have to go to Reggie's Island. If he's going to put a paywall behind it, then he's going to put a paywall behind it. If he feels that he needs to put a paywall behind it, then th- that's that. It's it's simple. Right, but it's not. I guess what I'm saying is it's not just a paywall. It's literally him transferring ownership of the island to another person. Sure, I still don't see what I still don't see what 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 the I don't know, it's not, I, can I he just sell can he just sell people like his cartridge? Theoretically, yeah, it's not much different. Yeah, I guess the thing I'm just kind of hung up on, and it's not necessarily I'm not saying I necessarily disagree in concept. Just I personally would do is I don't know. Is there a huge market for like basically selling your save file? Because that's essentially what some of this blockchain mm. stuff is going to become, right? Like literally, just like here's my progress. Now it can be yours if you pay me. I don't think there maybe is, specific like, people save file. Yeah, like, oh, like I don't think there is. People just put up their save files for like old Nintendo games that you can just download. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like even if there's not a huge market for it, if somebody just wants to do it, I see no problem with it. I'm not going to take advantage of it. If you just like we said, we don't know there's a huge market. There probably isn't, so it's not like it would yeah. be something that would be taken advantage of. So. Sure, why not have at it? Which, which does which does seem to be like your save file it, doesn't your Mario Party Five save file doesn't doesn't sell well or whatever, right, right, or whatever achievements you've unlocked and whatever. Yeah, it um, it is kind of an interesting. Like crisscross, you're right because it is somewhat user generated content thing and it is somewhat a progress thing, and then you got the blockchain part on top of it. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting. But it, it is interesting how bullish he is in supporting blockchain if it makes sense in the game. So right now it seems like gamers pretty universally do not like the idea of blockchain or NFTs in their games. But um, we shall see where that goes. But Reggie is on the side of supporting it if it makes sense. So that was his other take. All right, one last take. And, of course, we are talking Mother 3, a game that's probably now the bane of Reggie's existence uh, as our final Reggie take. Um, But the audiobook version of Reggie's book, includes a bonus hour-long interview between him and Jeff Keighley. And in it, like any good game journalist, Jeff asked that key Mother 3 question, what happened, where was it, what's going on? And as Reggie tells it, the uh, initial Game Boy version never made it stateside because the timing with the DS's 2005 lineup just didn't 
lineup. Like, you know, Mother was never a huge franchise. They're focusing on Mario Kart DS and all those games in 2005, so they weren't going to, like, move resources back towards Mother or Earthbound or whatever you want to call it. Um, there, but there were apparently serious conversations in the 3DS days and the Wii U days, and the Wii U eShop release of Earthbound Beginnings was part of that same train of thought um, and was, was kind of like the first step towards it. And there were also, at the time, conversations that if they do release the game, what if they just released it still in Japanese on the U.S. eShop? Because they've done that a few times, and, you know, they saw some success with stuff like Sin and Punishment. Um, so Mother 3 was a contender to come to America in Japanese. But the timing didn't, you know, it just didn't line up. The Wii U didn't take off. Iwata passed away. Uh, the takeaway, though, is that the closest we got to Mother 3 coming to the U.S. officially would have been literally the uploading of a Japanese ROM of the game to the server to die, to buy. Yay or nay to the idea of taking a text-heavy RPG and releasing it in the wrong language in America. Do you think that would have gone over well with fans? I mean, probably not, but take what you get. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Angel, you probably would have been into it, actually, because you like learning Japanese to your games, right? Aren't you doing that with Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl now? I mean, with a game that I'm interested in, they didn't buy every <laughs> game in Japanese. <laughs> Right, right. Like um, it, it took a game that I've already beaten once before, and that I was already kind of familiar with, so that I could, you know, play the Japanese and not be too lost. So, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't get with three. Yeah, I think it's probably for the best it didn't happen this way. Like, can you imagine all the fans who demand Mother Three and Nintendo's just like, "Here you go. You can't read it, but good luck." I like, mean, they I, did that I, in the eShop, right? There was they did. That they did, did that with Sam Pushman and a few other games. They're doing it now on Switch Online as well with some ex- uh, extra games. But, like, they're not text-heavy, story-driven. Like, Sam Pushman's a, you know, like an on-rail shooter. Like, you don't need necessarily deep understanding of the Japanese. Like, Earthbound is very, like, story-driven, you know? So I feel like, I don't know. If, I feel like it would frustrate a lot of players even more. And it may have, weirdly enough, turned them to go find an emulator and the fan translation, which I'm sure is a move Nintendo wouldn't approve of if their release ended up leading to more piracy. But, you know, obviously it didn't happen. I think at this point, it's probably still circulating. That could come to Switch Online, especially if they do end up bringing uh, the Game Boy Advance to the Switch Online lineup, which is rumored. Uh, so at, at this point, it's probably properly translated or bust, I'd say, right? Like, I mean, it seems like that's really their only option. Um, but yeah, those those were some uh, Reggie post-game takes, I guess. Um, so let's bring it back to the sports desk for some play-by-play analysis. Uh, or more specifically, a swapping of a playbook between two major teams, Disney and Nintendo, with a couple news stories. Um, we're seeing that Disney is now borrowing more than one play with some new games of theirs lately from Nintendo. But to be fair, Nintendo did start this. Uh, you know, they obviously began borrowing the Disney strategy first with a theme park, a ton of licensed IP merch, the Mario movie, uh, which is probably what we should address first, actually. The Mario movie has been delayed. It is now coming out April 7th, 2023, announced by way of a kind of odd tweet from Nintendo, or from Shigeru Miyamoto, I should say, who identified himself as such with a weird opening sentence of just, this is Miyamoto. That sounded very, like, definitive and became a meme very, very quickly. Almost like a threat. Uh... It was right, like wasn't that a weird tweet? I know they translated it from Japanese, but like it's really weird to be like, "This is Miyamoto, you're gonna die now." But yes, um, 
It is going from the original date of December 21st of this year, which will put it just days after Avatar The Way of Water, a movie that even Shazam's sequel decided to scoot away from. Um, but instead, Mario is now going to have a very proven I, uh, Easter weekend to open. Uh, side note, yeah. I saw Multiverse of Madness yesterday, and they showed mm-hmm. the trailer to mm-hmm. the trailer. I saw the trailer too, yeah. Wait, um, did they release it online? No, I, I saw Multiverse on Thursday. Oh, uh, okay, so. yeah. What yeah. a... How did your theater react? Because like my theater reacted like, "Whoa, Avatar!" I was like, "That was not what I was expecting at all." From some, some dude at the very end of the chair, like we were all silent, and then some guy just like, "Yeah!" And I was like, "Is that a real yeah or a uh, facetious yeah?" And I think it was a real. I thought it was a facetious yeah, but then I was talking to some coworkers the next day, and they all were like, "So how was the Avatar trailer?" I'm like, "Wait, what? People care?" Yeah. (laughs) So I'm thinking maybe it was a real yeah. I'm so confused. Like, it doesn't look bad. It actually, the underwater stuff looks nice. Like, visually, it looks pleasant. Um, but, like, yeah, the sequel that's coming out. But it, I don't understand who this movie is for. Like, for who are these people? people? Who got excited at <laughs> who the are Avatar people? trailer, like, who which are is apparently way more than I thought was going to be. I I honestly thought the movie was going to be. Like, can, can you name a single character from the original Avatar? Jake Sully. Yeah, come on, Jacob. See, I can't even do that. And I saw it in theaters, like, the first week it was out. I've never seen the movie. <laughs> like, the movie mainly, was... Mainly from, I like, feel like, meme videos and stuff like that. I feel like Avatar's thing was, like, and everyone's like, oh, the plot's whatever, and it's it's cool that's, like, a big, massive blockbuster that's pro-environment and pro-environmentalism, but, like, most people were there because, like, the technical spectacle, I feel like that was the first big 3D movie that was the one that like it was so lush like the CG was so crazy like at the time in 2009 I didn't think anyone cared enough now that every movie does 3D and has lush CG but I am apparently wrong you, who knew Um, but yes yes uh, Mario will not be going up against Avatar The Way of Water now Um, it will instead yeah like I started to say it's going to be during Easter which is uh, Easter weekend, which is coincidentally the weekend this year that Sonic the uh, Sonic had wow Sonic the Hedgehog two the movie uh, that's when it came out that's when it broke all video game records in the you know that exact same weekend um, so Mario's following in good footsteps I guess which could you imagine like in the peak of the console wars how Sega fanboys would take the news that. Mario's copying Sonic with a movie, so much so that he's copying the release date. Like, Sonic's better. Nintendo does what Sega did. Like, eat it. Like, uh, like the, the playground banter, it would be insane if this was, like, peak Sega-Nintendo rivalry days. Um, but, yeah, do you think the Mario movie has the potential to break the record that Sonic just set in that same weekend this year? Um, I guess it, I mean it definitely does. It's Mario. I feel like you'll probably get more people that don't care about it that will watch it than people that didn't care about Sonic to watch Sonic. There but, is a Sonic Renaissance right now, though. To be to be fair to Sonic, I mean, there's the movies, there's the new uh, Netflix. So maybe show. more reason why people would He's watch in it. Minecraft. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, it kind of has to, right? It's Mario. Like, but then again, Sonic outperformed Detective Pikachu, and I would have thought a Pokemon movie would be bigger than a Sonic movie, given how big, given that Pokemon's the biggest media franchise in the world. So you never know. It might just boil down to what the Mario movie's actually like. 
I mean, that's probably what happened to Detective Pikachu. Like, the people that really wanted to watch it saw it opening weekend, and then everyone realized, oh, the movie is not that great. You're only really coming just to see Pokemon CG models. And then a lot of people just stopped caring. I wonder if Mario's going to suffer. One of my... One of my... One of my brother-in-laws was like one of the biggest Pokemon fans. I it took him a long time to watch it as well. So, hmm. yeah, interesting. So Mario could fall into that same trap if it doesn't have good word of mouth. Yeah, if there's it's a, a bad rumor. movie really quickly. Like if I find out like going in, or if I hear a rumor that's going to be really terrible, I'll probably still watch it opening day, but. I'll be looking a lot less forward to it, or actually, I might even just wait until a more convenient time. Because usually, there, opening weekend is never super convenient. There is a rumor, slight potential Mario movie spoiler if it's true. There's a rumor. I'm gonna wait a beat in case people need to skip. There's a rumor it might be a musical, <laughs> which would explain Jack Black as Bowser. Um, I don't know how to feel about that. Huh. Yeah. No, I mean, um, again, it explains it explains Jack Black as Bowser. Uh, Charlie Day using his Dayman singing voice to do Luigi could be certainly something. I thought they picked Charlie Day for his singing voice. <laughs> well, no but. no, but he might sound like how he does Dayman and Nightman is what I'm saying, and that might actually be kind of funny. But I, yeah, I don't. I I swear, if they put lyrics on the old Mario tunes like all the classic mario music i don't know how that's gonna go over you know you're gonna go crazy i don't think so i mean they already put I lyrics on so. the mario theme with do the it's mario and do the mario is an awful song <laughs> it's great in its awfulness but it's awful like i i just i don't know i don't know how i feel about that it's it, but tell me i'm not wrong it sounds like absolutely something me and mo would randomly be like what if it was a musical and i was like oh okay and just made it a musical Maybe he gave them something cryptic and they interpret it as make a musical. Yeah, if he's just like, you know, a big part of Mario's soul of the games is the strong music. And they're like, oh, crap, he wants lyrics. And he's just like, no, I just wanted a good soundtrack. Like, yeah, it's certainly that, possible. That, that sounds like what happened. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's that's that would be something. Um, we shall find out in due time if that actually is the reality. Ken, would that make or break a Mario movie for you? If it was a musical, would you be more into it, less into it? <laughs> I've never liked musicals, even like old classic Disney movies. Whenever they, mm. I just have an issue with musicals when people just break into song. I get that. Yes, I think in animated, I can in animated movies and in stage productions, I could put up with it a little more because you're clearly in like not the real world. But when you're trying to be the real oh, world, for... and then you just start singing at random, you know, like a West Side Story or, or like, like a, a Tick Tick Boom like... or or like a La La Land. Tick Tick Boom like, is the lo- only one that I'll make an exception for just because Andrew Garfield is perfect. Also, Tick Tick Boom is actually just a very well done movie in general. But like even in those – even in Tick Tick Boom, it's just like – you know, he's just sitting at a diner and then like the diner walls like fold down around him and now he's in a dance number. And it's just like, OK, sure. But Tick Tick Boom also gets passed because it's a movie about making a musical. So I feel like – sure. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I, I kind of agree that movies are hard to do musicals. So maybe Mario can pull it off in my mind simply because it is anime. And obviously nothing in it's real. There are no Koopa Troopas and Goombas walking around in real life. So, um, But yeah, that that's the play Nintendo took from Disney is they're doing movies, right? But I was saying Disney, um, they're kind of taking place from Nintendo now. And why I say that is because they're venturing into games that feel very Nintendo. So first, you may recall in the February Direct, we got a Disney kart racer called Disney Speedstorm. And now, 
About a week ago, Disney announced in tandem with Gameloft that they're making a Disney Animal Crossing. Kind of. Uh, honestly, I, I sound like I'm being like being spirited about the game. Honestly, the, the premise is kind of cool. You're trying to build up your own town, much like an Animal Crossing, but to recruit um, all these different Disney and Pixar characters to live in it, you actually have to go off to their respective worlds and do little tasks and things to basically convince them to come to the town. And you use tools that you craft to like solve all these different tasks for them. So really, it's not hugely different than like the errands you would run in Animal Crossing. But you get to like go to the sayings of their movies and do it. So like there's an example I read where Wally needs help like getting a wheel back. So you're like going through the trash heaps with him and like using a pickaxe, like find the wheel and like give it to him, and then he moves into your town. And as you rescue these characters, um, in ways that sound, you know, gameplay wise, just like just like I said, doing tasks in Animal Crossing, um. They come to your town, and then they live there, and then you can have friendship levels with them and build up those friendships by doing stuff like fishing with them or cooking or doing other little Aww. tasks for them. And, like, you can fish with Goofy. Um, and the whole town is very, you know, kind of Animal Crossing. There's a shop, Tom Nook style. It's run by uh, Scrooge McDuck. And you can buy items around Disney IPs and make themed rooms in a fully customizable house. You can craft your own separate set of items. Um, your character's fully customizable. As in, and you know, you can dress them up and change their hair and all that. It's, it's, it's Animal Crossing, but through like a Disney lens. And as much as I would like to hang out with Wally, um, I, while I don't necessarily see myself getting this, I do think Disney, but Animal Crossing or Animal Crossing, but Disney has huge potential when it hits Switch and other platforms. Like that just seems like, Given how mass market Animal Crossing is and how mass market Disney is, like this is probably one of the smarter like games Disney like cross Disney games that they put out or will put out. Um, I mean, I it, it's free to play too, so that's kind of interesting. Um, huh. Would that lead you guys to check it out? I feel like that might get me to download it just to meet Wally. It really depends on what they have Donald Duck doing um, and Donald Duck's model and <laughs> how much you can interact with Donald Duck and. Yeah, that that's gonna make it or break it. Like, so Donald's your Wally. Wally for me is Donald for you. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Kevin, like, can, you're 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 vested in Disney through Kingdom Hearts. Are I you mean, I mean, can I make like <laughs> Donald like my best man or something? Like how how deep is Wait, that? are you getting married in the game? And if so, which Disney princess are you marrying? Uh I haven't figured that part out yet. As yes, no, you, it, you, you 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 have your soul your best man soulmate before your soulmate soulmate? Yeah, I need to figure out the Donald part. That's that's important. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, we should mention it. I mentioned it's free to play. We should probably touch on that. So the plan is not to have crops that speed up if you pay, you know, they grow faster if you pay, or you have to unlock items using, you know, certain in-game currencies based on real money. It sounds like the plan is they're going to sell expansion packs with new cosmetics, but there's no, like, real, like, gotcha, like, microtransaction deal going on here, at least not at first. So... It's going to be interesting to see what it evolves into, like what that means. But the fact that an Animal Crossing-like experience is possible for folks without a Switch, there's definitely some potential there, as is the fact that this may be the first real high-profile release following in the footsteps of Animal Crossing specifically. Even if the devs are saying there's more of a structured story included and there's like a 40-hour campaign and there's some stuff that's kind of like The Sims, like ultimately this thing just screams Animal Crossing to me. So it's going to be really interesting to see another company try to do an Animal Crossing and how, how that will go over. Um, 
But Kevin, I know your heart lies with a different Disney video game franchise. Am I correct? Mayhaps. Did did we lose? Did did is Kevin so taken aback about all this? I was well, gonna say. I mean, did... Well, I mean, I guess if I can interject real quick. I mean, yeah, yeah. If we're if we're just gonna talk uh, Disney franchises really quick, we can't not mention Goof Troop. Because that game is amazing. and it's We can actually up. not mention Goof Troop. <gasps> yeah, I was like, you know, I'm I'm okay not mentioning Goof Troop. <laughs> but the Super Nintendo game is so good. It deserves to be remade. I'm surprised that, Angel, but, you didn't buy... Didn't you play, like, as a kid, like, the Lion King game and the Aladdin game and stuff? I'm surprised you didn't buy the, the remastered ones for Switch. Why would I rebuy them? I can't really... I can't think of a single reason to buy them. I don't know. Single. Would you buy a Goof Troop remaster? Heck yeah. Okay, so what's the difference? <laughs> um, I still want to play Goof Troop. It's oh. all right. Fun but Latin, I remember Latin King and Lion being a good game. Like, I yeah, remember Goof Troop being a good game. They're good. They're, they're like one and done. But Goof Troop, it's, it's like perfection. And I'm not hmm. exaggerating. It's just a really, really good co-op game. The puzzles are clever and tricky. The combat is fun. It's Wasn't good. it? Just a riff on Zombies Ate My Neighbors, essentially. I never played like, wasn't that, it so, very wow. similar game? I, I wouldn't know. Oh. Hmm. To me, yeah. it was just, and my brother, and anyone that I know that has played it that have asked, like, really, really love it, and we all know. How deep of a quality. scientific survey was that everyone you asked part? Like, how many people have, have, have goof trooped it up with you? Um, I don't know. I think. Three other people besides my brother. Okay, that's actually more than I expected. All right. That, I, that not only owned it, but will also sing its praises. That's okay. That that surprises me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you had a sibling and you played it, probably would have liked it more. I don't even know if you played it. Maybe. I don't know. I played it with you briefly in college. Oh. You showed it to me. I think it was like a ROM or something. We're pirates. But um, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> I think there's a That's level okay. of nostalgia but... there in the same way there is Star Fox 64 for me. Although I will swear to this day that Star Fox 64 is the best Star Fox. But anyway. anyway, speaking of Disney games, Kevin, I don't know if you're aware, but there's another franchise that mashes up Disney universes that happens to be turning 20 this year. Um, yeah. Let's go to, yeah, let's go two in a row with the anniversary series segments about franchises that you particularly love. Kingdom Hearts. Well, you, uh, it's 20. <laughs> yeah, it's a love-hate thing, isn't it? Yeah. So what is it you love and what is it you hate? Like, Tell tell us what, how this is both the bane and pure purpose everything of Everything I love about Kingdom Hearts is everything that I hate about Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is the perfect yin and yang franchise for me. It is very special in my heart, and I also hate it with a passion. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 1 was a very, very interesting, I guess, experiment that succeeded quite well. Uh, Tetsuya Nomura made a, a fantastic game with, a, with gameplay that was really, really solid. The story was pretty good. Memorable characters. character. You have Disney characters fighting alongside you. You have Final Fantasy characters popping up 
helping to guide you. And Kingdom Hearts 1 was this, I don't want to say lightning in the bottle, but it was it was truly something special. Then I'm assuming Tetsuya Nomura got into hardcore drugs <laughs> and decided to throw the entire series off the rails with Kingdom Hearts uh, Chain of Memories on the Game Boy, which was a solid game. And then after that, I'm assuming he just had like a, a like a corkboard with a bunch of ideas, and he would throw a dart at this corkboard, and then like whatever story idea was on there, he said he was just like, "Let's write it, write it down." <laughs> I don't I don't care how if it makes sense, but we're doing it. Um. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure everybody knows. Everybody who has ever heard me on this podcast know my love, my passion, and my hate and disdain for the Kingdom Hearts series. I uh, twenty. So what like you want to drink legally? Where do you want it to go from here, then? So he's he's thrown the dart at the cart. He's it done his lines where I want of it drugs. To go. He's going to the real world. That's that's where he's going. You saw that Kingdom Hearts four trailer where he's in real right. life Tokyo. Right. Doesn't matter where I want to go. Where I want to go, it will never go. <laughs> are you are you okay with where it's going? Is that a direction you're interested in, or are you just like, what is happening? It's interesting, but uh, there's like a whole lot of th- man. I don't want to get into this. I I don't want to get into the theories of why Sora is in is in real life Tokyo. Or Wait, isn't the... that how the other one ended with him in? Well, oh, it... spoilers. I mean, I don't know. I haven't played it. Okay, whatever. Yeah. At the end of but the... But you think spoilers... Spoiler, 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 spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, at the end of Kingdom Hearts 3, it's basically implied that Sora's dead. Um, and so, even in this trailer, there's a female character who says, yeah, this is sort of an afterlife for people like us, that character and Sora. So, I don't know how that fits into everything. I'm sure... Uh, Nomura will find some way to ham fist it in, but it does, is what it is. Does it seem to eliminate the idea that he woke up in the uh the world ends with you verse? Yes, essentially. That 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 was the that was the idea that he was going to uh that he was gonna play the Reapers game, which is that game that uh right. yeah, the people in the afterlife play in the world ends with you. That sort of eliminates that that uh that whole theory. They probably saw how Neo The World Ends With You sold and were like, oh, change that story real quick. No one played no, it. No, they, they, that wouldn't <laughs> stop them at all. I know. They they are making everything tie it. Anything ever related to Kingdom Hearts ties into its story, right? Like everything. Pretty much. I think they're coming out with another mobile one, aren't they? Yes, they're coming out with another mobile game. Don't know how that's going to fit into the storyline. At this point, I do not care. <laughs> at this point, I play mainly for the gameplay. and. Let's just say I haven't been a fan of how the last few games have played. What is cool. is it an action RPG essentially? Like what what game would you compare it to? Like Tales or like, like It's like a faster it? Zelda. That's oh. what I would call it. Huh. Did not expect that. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, I've never actually played Zelda. a Kingdom Hearts ever. Like I've never there's I know a, there's been a few on Nintendo few systems. On, yeah. And now you can play the entire series uh on the cloud. Is the cloud version good though? They are like, terrible, I can't remember apparently. Oh, 
I think I don't remember if we talked about this around the time it came out, but like what what's the what's the problem with it from what you've heard? Uh performance issues. In a cloud based game where they have right. unlimited server potential capability. I mean that's that's still going to Yeah, yeah. Like, There'd be latency. On. There'd be latency, but the game is it that fast that's that noticeable? I don't know. The the thing that always perplexed me is the fact that the Switch can I'm I'm absolutely certain without a doubt that those games can run natively on Switch and for some reason they didn't want the want to actually natively port them. It's Yeah, ridiculous. one and two, everything up till three, a hundred percent can. Three probably, but scaled down. But yeah, it is yeah. It's probably just cheaper. It's a it's way for like them to Kingdom check Hearts a box. Good anyway, so who cares about that game? Wow. Hot take. Don't people love it? Sure. Mostly? Kingdom Hearts three? <laughs> I thought people did. No? I I, I know don't you know. Don't. I never I I do not like Kingdom Hearts three. What a disappointment. I waited over 10 years for that game only to be like, that was it? Do Do you think um, uh, Kingdom Hearts 4 is going to be another 10-year wait even though they already have a trailer out? Because this no, is Square. I, no, I think I think that game will be be out within the next, uh, I'll say, two to three years. Okay. So they're speeding things up again a little in terms of turnaround time. That's good. Angel, have you but ever played Kingdom Hearts? That just means that Final Fantasy VII Remake 2 oh, yeah. take a while. Yeah. They, they announced too many things at once and then just don't do anything with any of them for years. But, a- Angel, have you ever played a Kingdom Hearts game? Uh, no, I haven't. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. This this may have been the saddest anniversary series entry we've done where it's like, yeah, Kingdom Hearts, it was great, and then it got less great, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, get to, I still that the different... series. I'm still going to play pretty much every game that I can, with the exception of that rhythm game, which, of course, was canon. Um, but oh, and the mobile games. But like, I'm still going to play the crap out of Kingdom Hearts Four. I'm still going to beat it. I, I'm that that cutscene that they showed or that little gameplay thing. Obviously, was like pre-rendered. But mm. hope I really hope that the gameplay isn't all QTEs and as sort of dynamic as it looked in there. Kingdom Hearts 3, the gameplay was just like, not that Kingdom Hearts has always had the deepest combat, but Kingdom Hearts 3 was nothing but like AOE attacks, like area of effect attacks. Like you you press square three times and boom, your entire surrounding is just wiped out. Kingdom Hearts 2 was like the peak of Kingdom Hearts gameplay. I, I hope that we can get to something a little bit more simpler than just spamming AOE attacks the entire time. Or a little more complex, maybe, you mean? Than... No, I just don't want to hit square three times and then my entire screen to be cleared of enemies. Fair. Why is there not a Warriors game around Kingdom Hearts, now that you mention it? That seems like an easy way for them to further... <laughs> further make people buy more not Kingdom Hearts games that are still canon. Hmm. Right? Kingdom Hearts 3 basically was a Warriors game. Like, uh, we'll just leave okay. it at that. Like, that's, right. that's how weak the gameplay was in that department. But it has Woody. Oh, God, it has Woody. I forgot the Toy Story. Oh, my God. The, <laughs> the, the cutscene that starts off when you go to the Toy Story world. Wait, and what, it's what? like a recreation of the Final Fantasy versus thirteen trailer from years ago. Oh god! But with Toy Story characters? No, it was like a it was like a fictional trailer 
It was an in-universe game trailer for a video game in the Toy Story world called Verum Rex. And it looks super cool, and the main character looks exactly like Noctis did before the game was Final Fantasy fifteen, when it was still called Verse thirteen. And the characters all look like Verse thirteen characters from those trailers. And then boom, it was like Rex watching a watching a commercial for that video game. I think that was the whole point of that Toy Story World. You're going to Al's Toy Barn mm-hmm. so that you can pick up a copy of Verum Rex for Rex. <laughs> that's, I mean, you know, obviously oh, God, there's a lot of Disney references in Kingdom Hearts, but that's some, that is some pretty good slash funny slash weird fan service for the Final Fantasy side of that collaboration. I'll give them that. I don't think anybody was expecting it. Yeah, I think if Nintendo pulled something like that, like they reference some, you know, like they show... I don't even know. It happened like Mother Three or something. Like there, you're walking, you're playing a game. There's like a Mother Three commercial. It's called like Father Three or something, and then that's all they do. Like fans would eat that up. I'd eat that up. That'd be great. It's like when they did the uh, Where's Mother Three joke at that E3 press conference made by Adult uh, Robot Chicken that one year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love meta stuff. So, but yeah, um, any any other thoughts on Kingdom Hearts, or should we wrap it there for this episode? Don't ever get into the series. Play the first game. You can play Chain of Memories if you want. Play Kingdom Hearts 2 and just pretend that it ends there. Which, Kingdom Hearts 2 does kind of have a, a nice little like wrap-up. Like If you could stop at Kingdom Hearts 2, just just do it. It'll, it ends on a cliffhanger, but not one that needs to be answered. I... What a glowing endorsement for 20 years of Kingdom Hearts. The first 10 years are great. Or play them all. That. It, it, like, <laughs> or, or play them all. Just, yeah. I, but, I, I've been playing them all with the exception of the mobile games. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it, it's weird how we're like two shows in a row we're ending with you harping on a franchise that's completely consumed your life, but in very different ways. Persona and now Kingdom Hearts. Something that brings me joy and then something that just brings me pain and suffering. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't ask for a better ending, really. Like, you're saying Kingdom Hearts like the yin and yang. Like, so is uh, so is these two endings side by side, week after week. Um, but yeah, unless you guys have any other topics, I think that does it for today's show. The Sports Desk segment will be coming to a close. Um, pretty much it. I think we talk about every everything. I mean, everything in the universe, yeah. I mean, there's definitely stuff we haven't talked about. Yeah, but Anything and everywhere, all at once. Yes. A different multiverse movie than Doctor Strange. But if you want to maybe hear our thoughts on Doctor Strange, now that I know at least two of us have seen it, um, there may be a random Nintendo coming down the pipe. Next time we do one, we'll talk about it. Um, but I can guarantee we'll be back in two weeks with a f- uh, full-year fiscal report breakdown that I thought we were going to have this episode, um, along with other gaming news and goodness. That will hit on May 22nd. Um, but yeah, like I said, maybe, maybe we'll get a Nintendo in there because I have thoughts on Multiverse of Madness. I don't know if you do. I'm sure you do, Kevin. Uh, yes. Yeah, lots of thoughts. So, um, and also Moon Knight, there's thoughts on Moon Knight. There's gonna be a lot in whenever we do a Nintendo. So to make sure you don't miss the Nintendo or the Nintendo, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Random Nintendo. You can subscribe to us on all the podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. I ran out of steam there. Oh, also we're on YouTube, RamTendo.com. Um, and yeah, that'll make sure that will mean you won't miss anything. Um. Individually, we're on Twitter. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. And I think with that, Kevin, 
you, sir, have the final word. Don't play Kingdom Hearts.